<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. What the hell is going on around here? Who the are you people? Gary Hoffman. That sounds like somebody I know. Shannon Farron. She can help you with your woman problem, too. I mean, women look up to her. For what? Who are these people? You keep making it. Gary and Shannon. My advice to you, start drinking him. Gary and Shannon. Welcome back. Oh, hey, thanks. Good travel weekend for you? Yeah, I uh, ate a lot of wings, Gary. (laughs) I put down a lot of wings. They were really, really good. Do they taste different in Buffalo when they're Buffalo wings? I mean, it's... It's all about the sauce and the skin. The reason I put down so many buffalo wings, too, is because there's really not too much to do there. I mean, we did the gamut. We saw the naval yard, Uh saw the um, obelisk to uh, commemorate the assassination of McKinley in in Buffalo there in 1901. Uh, By the way, he died of gangrene weeks later, not of the... Everybody knows that. uh, Yeah. Well, that's something I learned over the weekend. Uh, there's a Grover Cleveland statue that I enjoyed, uh, Art Deco City Hall. I do think there's there's something to be said. This backstage Charger show that's been on uh, on Facebook Watch um, needs to include uh, tourist spots as perused by Matt Money Smith, Daniel Jeremiah, and Shannon Farron. Yeah, I think that would be quite a little, just a little feature at the end. Well, of the Daniel missed out because he didn't get there until late Saturday, and then there was this. I don't know if you saw my Instagram post, but the men of Buffalo, a oh, uh, lot of shirtless men in the stands. I was like thinking only, of a calendar, a, like only maybe a couple we put, of them should have been shirtless. Maybe we put together a calendar, uh, and then here's <laughs> this. Did you see this Niagara Falls? We went there. Oh, we, that's nice. Yeah, we did that, and then you're done. You're done. You see, you, just... uh, you see the obelisk. You see Grover <laughs> Cleveland, Niagara Falls, and you eat wings. And, and you're like, wow, tight. 27 hours until kickoff. <laughs> right. What are we going to do now? For Glad the rest? I got all those episodes of Ozark downloaded. <laughs> um, all right. So we have a bunch that we're going to get to today in the one o'clock, or sorry, the 11 o'clock hour. We're going to talk about the Good Samaritan story. The 16 year old kid finds a purse with 10 grand in it. And we were talking about this off the air. I would think that was a hoax. Like, it was a test. Absolutely. I would look around for cameras right away. Yeah, and and everything, by that point, you're like, I hope my uh, makeup looks good because I am obviously right. on camera. Totally. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk in the 1 o'clock hour with Rebecca Jarvis. We haven't uh, seen her in a couple of weeks, but uh, we'll talk about some money stuff. And one of the fun stories of the day that we're going to get to, especially in the 1 o'clock hour, please tell us your stories now, though, is the Vontae Davis story. You this- don't know the name, but this is a Buffalo Bills guy who, during the game— 
said, I'm done with football. Yeah, this is unheard of. I mean, we were all talking about it after the game, a cornerback for the Bills. He was having a rough game, I'll tell you that. I believe Mike Williams had just caught a touchdown pass on his head, and and then the half happens, and he puts on his street clothes and walks out and says, I quit. Teammates not happy, but it was an epic, epic way to quit your job yeah and we want to hear stories about your best quitting story like what was the what was the most satisfying way that you walked out of a job um because i think everybody's got at least some or they know somebody who had one of those jerry Maguire style i know somebody things. who did and i'm looking at him oh well you totally did a manifesto i was trying to explain that to nick today i'll tell the story in the one o'clock hour we've but- got a couple stories about manifestos there's yours and then there was another one <clears throat> but I don't know if we can get oh, into that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There was one that Okay, we but we must start the show with this Brett Kavanaugh mess. Brett Kavanaugh now and the woman accusing him of that sexual assault when they were both in high school both indicated today that they'd be willing to testify to a Senate panel. The president this morning, through Kellyanne Conway, said that the president is looking to hear from this accuser as well. Yeah. The thing to know about her, she is a California Democrat, Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, I, I know that should be irrelevant, but in this time, in 2018, I don't think it is irrelevant. Well, there's a lot that goes into the story and her revelation about the story that to me doesn't ring necessarily true. Now, I'm not talking about the actual incident from 1982. That I have no idea about. And in all honesty, well, we'll get to that in a second. But but the idea that she wrote a letter to her her congresswoman saying that she didn't want to go public with this allegation, that congresswoman sent it to Dianne Feinstein. Dianne Feinstein just last week said it should go to the FBI so that they can investigate all of this. The, that doesn't make sense to me. If you're writing a letter to your member of Congress, but at the same time saying – I don't want to be I don't want to go public and I don't want to be part of the Washington bloodletting that is a result of what I'm about to do. That doesn't jibe with me. What do you mean? The fact that well, she would want to stay anonymous? Why write the letter? Because this is somebody who should be held to a higher standard if he's going to go all the way to the Supreme Court in terms of judgment and morals and all of that. I'll give you that, but then why is it that it, there's there's something somewhere that that broke down somewhere the idea where she could have said to her member of Congress or Diane Feinstein she could have said all the way up listen do not use my name do not involve me in this do I don't want to be uh, identified at all but that we know who she is she relented and gave an uh, an interview to the Washington well, Post. Well, because, and, and the reasoning for that is because the story that had gotten out was so bare bones that it was almost kind of becoming a mockery. You know, oh, it happened in high school, and didn't we all do stupid crap in high school, and you shouldn't be judged before your prefrontal cortex is developed kind of a thing. So she wanted to get put meat on the story, and she did. And I think that's why she came forward. Well, she said publicly for the first time, she said that it was a summer in the early 80s, specifically 1982, that Brett Kavanaugh and a friend of his that she described as both stumbling drunk corralled her into a bedroom during a teenage party in Montgomery County. There were four people, I guess, at this party. And anyway, yes. So she says while his friend watched, Kavanaugh pinned her to a bed on her back and groped her over, his, over her clothes 
grinding his body against hers, clumsily attempting to pull off her one-piece bathing suit and the clothing she wore over it. She said she tried to scream, and when he when she did, he put his hand over her mouth. She said, I thought he might inadvertently kill me. Now, she said she was able to escape when the friend who was there, whose name, ironically, is Judge, Mark Judge, when the friend jumped on both of them. And they kind of all went tumbling off the bed. She says she ran from the room. She locked herself in a bathroom nearby and then eventually fled the house at all. This is kind of classic stereotype of all-male prep school East Coast, right? The guys, they're privileged. They've got a lot of money. They've got a lot of alcohol. There's a lot of um, bad behavior that's excused. In fact, Mark Judge wrote a memoir on addiction, I believe, and about his time as a teenager and how he drank to excess all the time and in fact there was a a character in the book well not a character i mean it's a memoir a a person in the book that he named something like pat o'kavanaugh right you know he changed the name a little bit about how he he was puking in the back of a car and that they were just running wild at this prep school now both mark judge and brett kavanaugh have denied that this incident ever took place. How, they probably don't even remember it if they were that wasted. Well, that's that's part of the issue with the veracity of this because this is an unsubstantiated account of what happened because she and the two people that she's accusing are the only people who would have been witnesses to any of this. So not only are they the only three and two of them say it didn't happen – There's no way to say whether or not it happened. I mean, there's no outside way outside of what this woman is saying happened. There's no outside evidence that you can come up with. There was the marriage counseling from 2002 where the therapist took notes that this woman was with her husband and they were going through counseling. And she said that uh, she talked about this incident happening and that it troubled her that these were two people that went on to have very uh, prestigious careers. And I'll tell you, if you uh, are ever in a situation like this where a guy is kind of getting too aggressive with you, you never forget it. You well, don't forget it. You you remember it like it was yesterday. Like even if it was from 1982, you, it's it's pretty vivid. I had conversations like this over the weekend in terms of that exact thing, that there are moments like this where it's a, there are unforgettable things that happen. She doesn't even remember where it happened. Physically, she she doesn't remember what house she was in. And to me, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's not that's not to say that she's making up the story, but that is proof that there are things that can deteriorate over time. But there are certain things, her feelings about it. I mean, if she's talking to her therapist about it 30 years later, obviously, there's something going on. She's still harboring whatever fear, whatever trepidation she had as a result of that. She still got it. Now, the question is, is this going to have an impact on whether or not Brett Kavanaugh is the next Supreme Court justice. We'll talk about that when we come back. I'm Gary and Shannon, looks like Waffle House workers are being sent from around the country Two areas affected by Florence to keep the locations up and running. Waffle House CEO picking up a team at the uh, airport this morning in Wilmington to distribute them to their uh, to their locations around North Carolina. We, in the 12 o'clock hour, we do our trending stories. We'll talk more about what's going on in the aftermath of Florence because 
Like we said, you know, the the storm itself was uh, aggressive when it made landfall as a Category 1, but the problems are going to be the flooding uh, over the next several days and even potentially weeks that they're going to see rising waters uh, as a result of all of this. And it's a, I mean, listen, it's a relatively clear day in most of the Carolinas today. You know, it's 85 degrees and just probably smells like Standing water. Told you yesterday, excuse us, last week told you that uh, health regulators recently gave the uh, five largest e-cig makers 60 days to produce plans to stop underage use of their products. Looks like the man is catching up to the vaping craze going on among teenagers. A survey out today shows nearly one in 11 students have used marijuana in e-cigs. <gasps> We're talking about the allegations against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh brought by a clinical psychology professor from here in California, Palo Alto University, a woman named Christine Blassie Ford, who said when they were in their teens, she was 15, I think he was 17, early 1982, that she corralled, uh, she was corralled into a bedroom And he and a friend, a guy named Mark Judge, apparently tried to pull off her one-piece bathing suit, and uh, she tried to scream, and he put her hand over his mouth, and she said at one point, I thought he might inadvertently kill me. Now, Deborah Katz, a longtime and prominent uh, women's rights uh, attorney, is the one representing Christine Blasey Ford, and she did several interviews today. Essentially, the very ills that she sought to prevent by choosing to remain uh, confidential were already happening to her, and she knew it was inevitable. She talked about why it is she came forward when she did. She came forward um, when she believed that it was her civic duty to alert her her representative and then Senator Feinstein about her serious concerns. But she first came forward when... uh, the nominee's name was on a short list. Yeah, so the, so the letter that she wrote to the congresswoman has been around for several weeks, uh, if not a few months. Well, it looks like Republicans seem to be trying to limit any new testimony by Kavanaugh and this woman, Christine, to telephone interviews. Uh, it looks like both have indicated they would be willing to testify to a Senate panel. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley saying today he was trying to hear uh, Christine Ford in an appropriate, precedented, and respectful manner. I think th- this is where the politicians need to be careful about this. Um, again, I've I've said this multiple times. I don't know much about this woman's story other than what this woman is saying happened back in 1982. But if you look at Brett Kavanaugh's time as an adult, I mean, because that's really all that we have records of is is his time as a lawyer, as a judge, et cetera, there are no allegations of this type of uh, behavior on his part. There's no one else who has come forward with this uh, with this type of thing. So as serious as the allegation is, uh, like I said before, it's unsubstantiated to the point that there's no physical evidence outside of the notes that she uh, that her therapist allowed her to use from our 2012 marriage counseling uh, therapy session. If this was 10 years ago, it goes away. We're not even still talking about it today, but it's 2018 and everybody's still raw. The Me Too movement very much still in in the public eye and it's still very much evolving in, in terms of we're getting new Me Too stories still every day, How two years after this thing started rolling. Yeah. So I think that that's why Brett Kavanaugh may find himself screwed over this, over one thing that happened in high school in 1982. And here's the thing. He said um, that when he was told 
the woman making these accusations is Christine Blasey Ford. His response was, who the hell is that? I don't even know who that is. That's not to say it didn't happen again. But but they, you have to be careful if if this is an allegation that goes so far as to get recognized by the Senate Judiciary Committee to where they interview someone who's making accusations against this guy that are 36 years old with zero other corroboration. Then it's kind of open season at that point because you're going to be able to make allegations against somebody with no other outside sources of information. Yeah, and it's also a dangerous precedent. If she doesn't remember where it happened, he doesn't remember who she is. Who else in that Senate room has experiences like that from 1982 or whatever? You know what I mean? Because they also because you can you can bet that members of the Judiciary Committee lived the same privileged life that Brett Kavanaugh lived. I mean, the and Georgetown think, prep thing. And I think you just hit on something there. I think that there's uh, definitely a double standard in the country between kids that grow up like Brett Kavanaugh and kids that don't. Yeah. And, and what they're allowed to get away with and, and the, the, the kind of behavior that goes on over there. And I think a lot of people resent that. And how far this will go, who knows? Who knows? But I do believe that Supreme Court justices, when it comes to morals and ethics and judgment calls, should be held to a higher standard than you or I or anybody else that may have done stupid crap in the past. Not that you have done anything bad. I just meant the proverbial you and I. But here's the thing. In all honesty, I think we all have crap in our in our pasts that we would be totally embarrassed Absolutely. If it came out. So. It's like that uh, movie, Defend Your Life. But there's a point where you you made a decision, like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I knew that was wrong, and right. I shouldn't have done that. You evolve. You grow up. You're like, right. what the hell did I what, – what was I thinking with that? All right. So we'll keep an eye on that, see if anything new comes out, if we get new comments or anything from the White House or from Brett Kavanaugh or even Christine Blasey Ford about what's been going on. All right. Speaking, Speaking of, of – Yes. This mm-hmm. Me Too movement continues <laughs> to roll. And what I found interesting was Sean Penn's attitude about this. I started reading that this morning, and then I thought to myself, who cares what Sean Penn thinks? There's that. There is that. I'll give you that. And but. Ronan Farrow talking about Woody Allen and his sister and the allegations. <laughs> talk about a story that I wish I didn't have to talk about ever again yes. is the Woody Allen and his daughter story. But we'll do it when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, big stories that we're following on this Monday, September 17th. Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court nominee, has issued yet another denial uh, to a woman who says that he sexually attacked her back in high school. His quote, this is a completely false allegation that he's willing to talk to the Senate to try to defend his integrity. Uh, Also, the story that we'll get to in a little bit, uh, the border agent, U.S. Border Patrol agent in Texas, confessed to four killings because a fifth woman that apparently would have been his fifth murder victim uh, was able to escape. We'll talk about that coming up. Sean Penn did an interview about his new show on Hulu called The First. And bravo to NBC reporter Natalie Morales, because I don't know if she got a tip or she kind of figured it would go down this road. But her question about the strong female characters on the show was framed like this. Uh, you know, do you think the strong female characters in the show were informed by the Me Too movement? 
and she got more than she bargained for uh, with this interview and Sean Penn's response. Yeah, he said um, it's influenced by the things that are developing in terms of the empowerment of women who have been acknowledging each other and being acknowledged by men. But here was the weirdest quote. This is a movement that was largely shouldered by a kind of receptacle of the salacious. And Natalie Morales said, what the hell is a receptacle of the salacious? This is a movement that was, you know, largely uh, shouldered by a kind of That's what I said. A receptacle of the salacious. What, what do you mean a receptacle of the salacious? Well, we don't know what's a fact. In many of the cases, salacious is as soon as you, you call something a movement that is really a, a series of many individual accusers, victims... Uh, accusations, many, some of which are unfounded. The spirit of much of what has been the Me Too movement is to divide men and women. To divide men and women. It's an interesting way to put it. Um, I think part of it is because there is a chance that a guy like this, I'm not saying that he personally, but a guy who's been in Hollywood, who's been a producer, who's been in the position of of deciding the fate of someone's career could potentially have some stuff in his past where he's like, hmm, I wonder if that's ever going to come out. Or I wonder if, even if I believed that it was a uh, two adults having adult time, that maybe somebody else may have felt differently and they can come out and, and use it against me. Do you think that there is a uh, an effort behind the scenes to use the Me Too movement to divide men and women? What would be the end game for that? What would be the benefit for that? Well, here's the thing. I think a guy in power like Sean Penn would look at it that way. I don't have power over women. I mean, I, I'm not a guy who's in a p- position where I can make or break someone's career based on a decision that I make about whether or not they're going to make out with me. So I don't see it that way. But if if he's in a world where that's just sort of the sort of the way things have always been, yeah. then yeah, I could see how he would that imagine that that's a that yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. In that world that would make sense. Like but, but the, a, the fun is over. Right. Like <laughs> on the set, women over there, men over there. It's like a sixth grade dance. But there is a point that he makes that that Matt Damon tried to make early on as well uh, in this whole thing. And it was I think it was almost a year ago that Matt Damon was saying, listen. We can't lump all of these accusations together because some of them are out and out physical forcible rape and others are unwanted comments, uncomfortable touching, but not to the point of 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 a physical assault. Yeah. So Matt Damon's point was, let's you know, let's make sure that we keep them in the context that 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 they are presented in and not lump them them all together. together. Yeah. And And I and I totally agree with that couple takeaways from the Sean Penn interview if you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Number one, maybe invest in some sunblock. Number two, put some shoes on. He's doing the interview barefoot and his legs are crossed and you can see the bottom of, of his foot. Yeah. Very disrespectful in the Japanese culture. But she, he's, and that's not a... Never. I'm just saying if Japanese people are watching it, that's very disrespectful. It's a huge <laughs> sign of disrespect. I would have said the coloring in his hair is more disrespectful than anything. That's also disrespectful to the, to the to the American mean, people. He's he's a he's got a rough face. Oh man, but I I get it. Like he's done a lot of living. Right. Uh, just let that hair go gray. I mean, he was married to Princess Buttercup for all those years. That's not what made the face look hard. But. Could you imagine trying to make her happy for all those years?
what's uh, what's going on with Sun Yi? This um, very exhaustive story that shows up in um, in Vulture is an interesting look at a story that I thought was gone five, six, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. Maybe that was because we wanted it to be gone. But with the emergence of Ronan Farrow as the Me Too movement crusader, it's kind of moving back into the spotlight. She um, she says, I was never interested in writing a mommy dearest, getting even with Mia Farrow, none of that. Uh, but what's happening to Woody is so upsetting and so unjust that Mia has taken advantage of the Me Too movement and paraded Dylan as a victim, and a whole new generation is hearing about it when they shouldn't. Um, about Dylan Farrow, the... Di- uh, the one of Woody Allen's adopted kids that Woody Allen sexually molested her. Um, and Sun Yi is still standing by the guy who was in that very awkward thing, the adopted stepfather, whatever relationship they had before he eventually started a romantic relationship with her. And it's just one of those, I don't, nobody wants to hear this story. You know, there's some family dramas that should be kept in the family you know dirty laundry that does not need to get out to all of america and this is one of those things i mean she's she has every right to tell her story but you're right i think there's a certain the appetite for uh, for a breaking woody allen story uh was was satiated long ago coming up next we've got a serial killer at the border to tell you about right here on gary and shannon Gary and Shannon, um, top of next hour, we're going to tell you about this story about uh, the California doctors may soon be required to perform database checks as a result of the number of opioid deaths in the state. Speaking of which, there was a report that came out from Health and Human Services today that uh, is an interesting look at psychiatric medication in the foster care system. One in three foster kids get psych meds without treatment plans or without follow-up. Some of the kids get medicine they don't need, and others don't get the right medicines. All oh, of that I'm sure. And the drug companies are so powerful. You know, they find uh, pathways in everywhere. Uh, North Carolina says it has opened a major route that was closed into Wilmington. It was cut off from the floods of Florence, so that's good news there. Also, uh, that diver, remember, the one that uh, Elon Musk called a pedophile for helping save those kids from that cave in Thailand? Uh, he's suing Elon Musk oh. now for those for those words. That's nice. We knew that was coming. Right. Uh, Big story out of Customs and Border Protection. There was a supervisor in Laredo, Texas, who was arrested over the weekend for shooting and killing four women and pulling a gun on a fifth before she was able to escape. Juan Ortiz is his name. And, yes, he shot these four female prostitutes in the head. It was a 10-day killing spree. First body located September 4th. Second victim found alive Thursday morning but died at a hospital. One woman escaped from him Friday after he pulled a gun on her. And then they believe he picked up and fatal, uh, shot and killed two more victims after the uh, surviving victim took off. Um, all of these women were, were believed to be prostitutes. Uh, the, they began, like you said, September 4th, the body of 29-year-old Melissa Ramirez was found Um And Ortiz said that he had killed Ramirez just a day earlier. She was a mother of two. She had been shot 
multiple times in the head. That is a bizarre thing. One of the victims was a transgender woman. Two uh, two were U.S. citizens. The nationalities of the others were not known. They say that it uh, looks like this guy acted alone. He's worked for the Border Patrol for 10 years. Second Border Patrol agent in Laredo to be arrested on a murder charge this year. There were a lot of people who said they knew a lot of these women. Uh, R.B. Flores, a 62-year-old, sitting uh, in his wheelchair outside of a meat market. And he says, I knew Melissa. Everyone knew her. And... It was amazing. Everyone said that another girl was killed after they found Melissa's body, and everybody was shocked. Um, some of these women had come from very, very bad situations and turned to uh, to prostitution in an attempt to make some money. But uh, this guy was clearly uh, targeting them. They just they haven't said exactly why. What would have forced him? What what would have uh, caused him to at this point turn against them? You don't, at the age of, how old is he? 35. 35. You don't, at the age of 35, all of the sudden start uh, going after prostitutes and killing them. You know what's curious, and it's unfortunate. I remember reading a book about missing prostitutes on Long Island uh, several years ago. I forget what the name of it is, but it was excellent. I'll look it up and, and get back to you on it. But you don't hear about prostitutes going missing. You just don't. Not, you know, that, they, not know, the, that they don't go missing. The first body was found September 4th. It wasn't in the news. The second body, when the bodies started piling up, not in the news. We have to get to four bodies and a, and a fifth that escaped to get this into the news. And it's just really unfortunate how people who go missing who are not from great homes or whatever do not make the news. And it happens all the time. Green River Killer is a great example. Yes. Gary Ridgway would, would specifically target... Um, prostitutes and runaways, young runaways, because he knew that they could be gone for weeks at a time and nobody would would even report them missing. Yeah. So he had a window of time to rape and murder these women and then hide their bodies somewhere where they would never be found. Okay, the book is called Lost Girls, an Unsolved American Mystery. If you liked All Be Gone in the Dark, you will love this book uh, by Robert Kolker. It was a bestseller. It's fascinating and and so sad, but good true crime stuff in there. Um, hey, a reminder that next week, uh, next Wednesday, we are going to be live at Wicks Brewing Company for our next News and Bruce. We're going to be live at Wicks Brewing Company in Riverside. Fantastic menu. They just posted on Facebook this weekend that they're going to open up ahead of time. They'll have some drink specials early on. And there's nothing better than a 10 a.m. drink special on a Wednesday. They're, <laughs> they're, they're opening their doors. I think it was two and a half hours early so that you can get in there uh, when we start the show at 10 o'clock. We'll do the whole show live. Uh, maybe some fun stuff to give away. Oh, yeah? I don't know exactly what that is because nobody tells me these things. But maybe we'll pull some stuff off of our bookshelves there in the, uh, in the office and bring it down to give it away. Uh, but, again, it's next Wednesday, our next News and Brews, September 26th. Wicks Brewing Company in Riverside. Come on out and say hi. We'd love to see you out there. Coming up next, we check in with our opioid desk. Looks like doctors in California will soon have to be required to go through more database hurdles to prescribe these. We'll tell you all the latest when we come back. To Gary and Chad.
This song goes out to a woman who is at Doc's Inn in the Santa Clarita Valley at about midnight last night. Easy freeway access. Wanted to hear Kokomo so badly before Fierce Brosnan took the stage. We thought we'd play it for her. Good memories with this song. Who doesn't? <laughs> uh, Gary Janet, it's Monday, September 17th. The stories that we're keeping our eyes on, the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, says this is a completely false allegation uh, in the context of a woman who says that when they were both in high school, 15, 17 years old, uh, that he tried to rape her is the allegation. And he says that never happened. And that he would be willing to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee again to that uh, to that end. Tropical Storm Florence is continuing to roll through the uh, East Coast, up through the Appalachians, and flooding and rising rivers are now really the massive problem. Still a half a million people, it said, without power in uh, North and South Carolina. Well, it was late summer 2013 when there was a 59-year-old woman in California who overdosed. Uh, when people dug into the paperwork involved with the prescriptions she was able to obtain, they found that she had been given 75 prescriptions by three primary care doctors, a psychiatrist and a pain specialist in one year. Um, she was into opioids. She was into a sleeping aid, anti-anxiety medication. Now, not one of the five physicians treating her had been aware that she was shopping around. Um, not one of them was able to tell her about the dangerous combinations. So we're going to do something about it in the state of California the state has for decades kept a database about prescription history for doctors and pharmacies. It's available for them to consult, but most people ignore it. And a lot of lives could be saved if this database wasn't ignored. It looks like on October 2nd, a new law makes consulting this database mandatory. Some, some of the doctors uh, who have been critical of the cures system... Uh, it stands for Controlled Substance Utilization Review and Evaluation System. Some people who have been critical of it said this is not ready for a prime time. There's all kinds of technical problems over the course of its history. And the way it's formatted right now, it takes doctors a lot of time. I mean, physical time out of their day to look up information about each one of the patients. And according to the medical board, the executive director of the medical board of the state, she says, listen, this is going to be one of those things that a year from now, it's just going to be secondhand. They're going to learn to use it. It's going to be much easier. The bugs are going to be worked out. But at this time right now, it's it's still a time-consuming endeavor for them. Well, and that's the thing. It's time-consuming. What do doctors not have? Time. What do they not want to give you? More time. But you know what? If it's going to save people's lives, if it's going to cut down on this opioid crisis, then it's got to be. Uh, I think you make a good point. It's got a bad reputation. It debuted in 1997. Think about the technology jump from 1997 till today. Uh, In 2009, it got a revamping. Um, But still in 2012, the L.A. Times investigation found that less than 10 percent of healthcare providers and pharmacists had even signed up for access to this. So just virtually no one was using this thing. Yeah, and if you look at the number of overdose deaths that are a result of this, there was a um, a few years ago, there was a woman who launched a project called Death Diaries, looking at accidental prescription drug deaths, specifically in San Diego County. And she found 
80% of people died with a combination of substances in the system, like opioids and benzodiazepines. What's a benzodiazepine? It's a, uh, it's a drug. You're supposed to know these things. I know, but I'll I, look it up. I don't know exactly what a benzodiazepine would do for you that would be different than what an opioid would do for you. They said that about 70% of these overdose victims were chronic users. 20% of them actually were doctor shoppers. Oh, it's uh, Valium. Okay. So, but so people are taking opiates and, and Valium. Valium. That is I, okay. I'm not a doctor, but I wouldn't take those two together. Well, and that's what within the, like uh, six months. That's what the <laughs> that's the point of the system, right? Is to say, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I see, Shannon. You went to the emergency room the yeah. other day, and they prescribed you opioids Cut. for yeah. your chronic back pain, mm-hmm. uh, pain in my back. Actually, <laughs> that's what it goes in the show. And then you are here because you said you wanted your Valium. For um, what? We're not, not going to. If I'm already on an opioid and I need a Valium, I mean, that's, well, that's an addiction situation. Right. That's not a treating different ailments, there was I don't a, think. Last weekend I was at the doctor. Got the old physical, right? The guy says, I'm doing great. They touch you on unwanted places? No, it was very wanted, as a matter of fact. Mm. The, um, he says, you're healthy as a horse. And while I'm sitting here in the waiting room, by the way, I accidentally sat on the sick side instead of the well side. Don't ever do that. I didn't realize it was a thing. The, the what? The sick side. When you oh, walk into the, the waiting room. Side yeah. the, there's, so there's the, two different things? Well, there's like a row of chairs on that wall yeah. and then a row of chairs on that wall. And I just sat down and filling out the forms. Oh, you got to do it And once I look over. up and I realize I'm on the sick side. Yeah. There was nobody else in there, so it wasn't. I mean, That explains your coloring today. Do I seem a little... But the phone rings, and the attendant at the desk says, hey, Dr. Simmons, can I help you? And the person on the other line was screaming, and you could hear it through the handset oh, on the no. phone. And what, just based on what I heard from the attendant who answered the phone, it was that this person who was calling in was demanding a refill on a prescription. And the doctor said, or left a note on the file which said, I will refill a prescription, but not before they come in and talk to me. I'm not just going to refill prescriptions over the phone. So they demanded, the doctor was saying, listen, I'll I'll refill your prescription. But the attendant saying, but the doctor wants to speak with you, wants to see you in person right. before he'll sign off on another uh, another round of whatever drug it was. And I don't know if it was an opiate or, or not, but it, this, I think, goes to that end. The doctors have to be more careful and are being more careful. This is one way that they're going to be able to do it. Research by the National Institute on Drug Abuse found up to 30% of patients prescribed opioids for chronic pain misuse them. 30%. Yeah. and then 8 the, to 12% develop a, an addiction. And the frustrating part is that the, you know, the majority of people who are using heroin now started with prescription painkillers, whether it was theirs it's like or they stole Ozark. from somebody else. It's like the mother of the agent in Ozark. That's exactly what it is. See how see how television really is a is a good reflection of real life. And once you finally watch Legally Blonde, you'll have more knowledge about opioids, about everything. Ah. Coming up next, we uh, well, it's the drug hour. Really, <laughs> we're uh, we're doing a drug roundup here. It looks like police chiefs are trying to get out ahead of pot deliveries, saying. Hey, you you allow this pot delivery thing to happen, you're screwing us even more, California. I'm not sure I see the logic in that, but but I'll we'll talk about it. Also, I have some Coca-Cola news. Oh. In the pot world. Interesting. Mm. Yes.
I'll tell you about that later. Gary and Shannon will continue. Amy King has an update on the news. Really quickly, though. Um, I can hear Handel He's through, the, through the soundproof door. He's right there. Oh. Well, I can hear him. Through the soundproof yeah, door? Yeah. <laughs> I can hear you through the soundproof door. Yeah. Like, do you need to be that loud? No. Is that necessary? I mean, we're trying to do a show in here. And? This isn't Fresno, you know? And? <laughs> Hi, everybody in Radio Land. How are you? Okay, that's enough. Nice to see you, too. Nice to see you. Get out, get out, get out, get out, get Quitting stories because of the uh, the Buffalo Bills player, Vontae Davis, who walked out at halftime and said he's done with football. I don't know if it was because the the Bills were as well, he, bad as they were. He wasn't but. having a good game. Like I said earlier, Mike Williams had just caught a touchdown catch on his head. Didn't? On, on this defender's head. If I'm not mistaken, Daniel Jeremiah said he was eating cornflakes off of his head. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> that right. Was, it was so great. I have an inside story about that, too. About Vontae Davis? About something he said before the game. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, but we want to hear your best quitting stories. What did you tell the boss, or how did you quit? I mean, quit with a splash, because this guy quitting at halftime is, it's unusual. It's not unheard of. In fact, there's a baseball player, John Cruck, who got a single in a game against Baltimore, and then took himself out of the game and retired because he had bad knees. Because he had bad knees. True. This was an F and U to the team. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that is not a good locker room situation going on. I would put money on the Bills having the first pick in the draft. In the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to talk more about bad quitting stories. So if you have any, make sure you send them to us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, however you want to do, and we'll get to those coming up. Well, let's talk about pot, shall we? Yes. The police chiefs in California... The association do not like the idea of vans loaded with pot out on the streets delivering to homes. There are individual municipalities can have different rules about whether or not you can have a pot shop, obviously. And then there are also other rules about whether or not there can be home delivery vans into communities where retail stores are prohibited. Um, There's a few places here in town that advertise pot delivery services. They don't need my advertisements. So I will tell you what they are, but they're all there. I mean, they talk about it. The way they advertise it is a very matter of fact. We're clean cut. It's not like some, you know, some dude like Spicoli is going to come drop off a baggie of pot. You know, Spicoli it's, was pretty clean cut. I don't know if you recognize the movie. Sean Penn had really long hair, stringy, looked like he was a washout. Oh, excuse me, 1954. <laughs> Listen, if I'm going to get a pound of pot delivered to my house, I want uh, I want somebody who looks like Fred Mertz to do it. Well, this is the thing, though. Police chiefs are not upset about Spicoli driving around delivering. They're they're not worried about the deliver people themselves or the vans they're worried about the robberies they're worried about these guys getting knocked off because they're going to be carrying a lot of cash and a lot of pot and it's going to be an advertisement here i am in a van and i don't think it's going to be though i think it's going to be you know like the amazon white vans yes you know very it's not going to be like 
Hot delivery van. They, I on think the they side. would. They would have to do the calculus of safety versus advertising. Yeah, there where, wouldn't be advertising on the vehicle. I because don't think. if it's an all cash transaction. Now, hopefully, they would be able to work it out so that you could buy it online and you wouldn't have to pay somebody pay. at your door. Apple pay that. But you can't. I mean, that's a, that's the problem. Is we we've run into this with with medical marijuana as well, and that no bank wants to touch it because of the federal rules against marijuana. So if they can figure that out, then they wouldn't have to worry about the drivers carrying cash or having cash or accepting cash or anything like that. And they would be a little bit safer in terms of putting the names on the sides of their whatever delivery vehicle looks like. 128 permits have been issued throughout California to retailers, allowing them to deliver to homes. Uh, Right now, legislators are considering a proposal to uh, maybe curtail this, uh, at least in communities where retail stores have not been permitted to open. Right now, they're using Ease, an online cannabis marketplace and delivery app. They've made more than 500,000 deliveries in the state since the sale for REC began January 1st. I don't know where to go. I'm not sure if this is... Could we order that right now? Let me check. Ease. They have a website, or is it just an app? It's a it's a website and everything. Um, the the League of California Cities oh. recently circulated circulated a story on the rest of a couple of men who was uh, who were selling pot and methamphetamine from an ice cream truck in North Long Beach, and they obviously did not have state delivery licenses. Ooh, but that's an unfair attack on what would be a licensed delivery service for for marijuana. Looks like our address here in Burbank, uh, they deliver to. Of course they do. <laughs> what do you want to get? I don't even know what this stuff is. Uh, hash-infused pre-roll. Blake, what's hash-infused uh, pre-roll? Biscottini-pressed hash. Yeah, what's that? Never happened to just pot, you know? Oh, here's something. Uh, OG Kush Classic. Click. Uh, let's see. 22% THC. Is that good? Blake? The add to cart. According to Nick, that's nothing. 22%. Add to cart. Check out. How easy is this? Why would I know? I don't know. I'm just looking at you. You're. I I'm going to use your email, okay? Wait, why? Gary Hoffman. Because I don't want to use mine. So I'm going to get on the mailing list is what you're saying. Yeah, well, you're already on the mailing list for Goop. So <laughs> And all of our <laughs> listeners. That's very true. Hey, I wanted to bring to you this uh, Coca-Cola news as well. Coca-Cola says... It has been closely watching the marijuana-infused drinks market. And according to a Canadian financial channel, BNN Bloomberg, they are in talks with Canada's Aurora Cannabis Incorporated to come up with cannabis-infused soft drinks to be sold by Coca-Cola. No guarantee that they would actually be successful, uh, but just the fact that Everyone's been talking about it. Saw Aurora's shares soaring twenty two percent. Coke, on the mean, uh, in the meantime, uh, went down a bit today in terms of uh, the stock price. Uh, you just they're... have to pull up your phone number here. They want your phone number. So why? Do I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> My phone starts buzzing <laughs> because you're buying pot. <laughs> oh, get, tell me the veric- verification they just sent you. Oh, really? Okay, there it is. Shannon will continue this transaction when we come back. We'll tell you about this 16-year-old kid who found a purse with 10 grand in it 
and why it is we thought if we were in that situation, we would uh, make sure that our makeup and our hair looked fine. A reminder, our next News & Brew is coming up Wednesday, September 26th. We're going to be at Wicks Brewing Company in Riverside right there on Sterling Avenue. Come on out. They're going to open the doors early so that you can come on out and get some lunch, uh, maybe a couple of beers. They'll have some drink specials early on, and we'll have a fantastic time doing the show Live Wednesday, s- September 26th. You have, to put, you have to put a picture of your ID. At Wicks Brewing Company in Riverside. Too many steps. We're not getting the pot. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon. Key Republican Senator and Susan Collins saying today that the Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and the woman accusing him of sexual misconduct from back when he was in high school in 1982 should both testify under oath before the Senate Judiciary Committee. They have both indicated that they would testify. Uh, Chuck Grassley saying this morning that it would probably be over the phone, something of that nature. Stay on top of that. We'll see if this ends up with uh, a delay on the vote for Kavanaugh and the confirmation from the Judiciary Committee. Also, uh, the first moonshot passenger is supposed to be announced today. SpaceX is going to fly somebody around the moon today at about 3 o'clock at their headquarters down in Hawthorne. They say they're going to announce the name of who will be their very special first moonshot Hey, Blake, uh, quick gas go around. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, the remix. Uh, If you had the ability to put one person from KFI in the seat there to send around the moon, who would it be? Blake. You're in a safe space. I'm assuming that's a it's a solo shot, right? I mean, yeah. it's just yeah. them with... There's no one that I don't want here. So I'm trying to think, like, who Aww. would be the best experience to listen to. Yeah. Um, I think Chris Carlos' reports would be the most informative, but I feel like Chris <laughs> Little's would be the most entertaining. Yes. I so I'm going to go with Chris Little. Way. I totally agree. <laughs> uh, Amy King. Uh, it's Chris I Little, think, isn't it? No, actually, I think Tim Conway. Oh, Ooh, I think there'd be a lot of ding dong, ding dong around the moon. <laughs> ding dong with that moon. <laughs> that's right. That would be good. Nick, who would you put in that? Nick's gone. Nick's, no, Nick's not here. He's playing Kokomo in the office. Yeah. Got it. What about you? I'd put you up there. Why? Because I think that you would do well in flight. You have a strong constitution. I think you could handle all the physical, uh, all the physical stuff. I could hold my pee for that long. Yeah. Uh, I, think I would you do well in a diaper. I would, I would put John Cobalt. Oh, only because I think he would enjoy the quiet time. That's so true. <laughs> so true. Like it would be a little present from us to him. Look at all of us having nice answers. <laughs> Nobody said uh, I hate so and so. So let's put them on the moon for. I a hope couple. they burn up on reentry. <laughs> yeah. um, so there was a story out of Santa Barbara about a 16-year-old kid and a guy named Rami Zaney. Uh, who told the uh, Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office he's driving home from school last week and he notices a black handbag in the middle of the road. First of all, nobody stops to pick up a handbag they see in the middle of the road. No, it's like a see something, say something situation. Right. I would call this a suspicious package. But but Rami says that he stopped, he found the purse, and he's looking in it for ID and finds not ID unless you count the ID of Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin? Stacks of hundreds. Benjamin's on the hunt. Got it. Got it. 
thought it was a phony ID. He stared at more bills than he'd ever seen in his life, he said, and decided to go home and talk to his parents before he turned the lost item into the police department. That's fine. That's totally fine. I would hope that the 16-year-old would have the sense to do that, but I don't know if I would have had the sense to do that. What would you have done? Well, I would have immediately left it. I would have put it back and thought the um, the Mexican drug yes, cartels totally. have lost something I, that yeah. I don't want to touch. Th- me too. I would look at it and say this is dirty money, but you and I have both been binging Ozark, so it might be a little bit skewed. That may be true, but he... Uh, the Sh- the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office posted uh, about this thing on Facebook. By the way, please don't use my name for the same exact reason. Right. Again, I right. don't know. Even if I did turn it in, just let whoever know um, that I found it and it's theirs and I don't want to have anything to do with it. Didn't they see what Dell did to that guy's eyes? <laughs> uh, he said... To me, I figured this is the right thing to do if I take it and find whoever's purse it was because if the roles were reversed and I had lost something with a significant sum of money inside, I know I would want it back for sure. So That's dirty money. Who has clean money in a black unmarked bag that's just stacks of Benjamins? Well, and this is what I think is interesting. It's one thing to say, you know, I had, say, $9,700 $9,700 in cash. Right, but and it it's was a, random. It's a even two th- or 10000 And it's wrapped still yeah. in the bank wrap mm-hmm. where you get a stack of hundreds. And I would put money on the fact that when he went home to his parents, they said, this is dirty money. We'd keep it otherwise. Yeah. But it's dirty. Let's get rid of it. Because did you see what Dell did to that guy's eyes? That's. Not, I don't think the parents are watching Ozark. Now, to express her gratitude, whoever this woman is, maybe a, a cleaner for the uh, for the cartels, she gave the kid a hundred bucks, and the sheriff's department put a nice note on their Facebook page and said, "Listen, in a world where we are bombarded with bad news, we're excited to share a positive story with you." When this teenager turned in drug cartel money, it warmed all of our hearts. America. Thank you, Rami, for doing so many things right, from observing the purse in the first place, stopping to get it, contacting your parents for help, and turning it in. They did not say, the sheriff's department did not say why the woman was carrying such a large sum of cash around with her. On Thursday, when she's arrested, we'll bring you that news. (laughs) That's not true. Yet. That is not. Yet. We don't know. We kind of do. Um. Yeah. Well, I cannot wait for what you watch on Wednesday because I want to hear how you how you liked the first season of Ozark. Yes. Because I'm almost done with the second season already. And if you like sort of that uh, the dark con- constant dissonance that you see in Ozark, where it's just you're always thinking how how would a family deal with that much stress like this? I do find myself uh, getting a little stressed out watching it, like soaking in, internalizing a little of the stress that they're mm-hmm. constantly under. So you, you can't, I mean, I did, but it's probably not a good idea to watch them back to back to back um, to back. I was reminded this weekend that I don't show a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. And someone I live with said to me, you are a lot like Marty Bird. No, no way. Okay, so I was thinking that when I was watching it, and I was wondering if that conversation was going to be had because him not showing a lot of motion, yeah, emotion does not end well. 
Yes, it's come. It's it does, it's but after she before. after she cheats on him. Well, yes, <laughs> because I it wasn't know. showing emotion. I'm hoping that's not the case because uh, that's because that's why she cheated, right? Because there was not enough emotion. Yeah. So. Huh. Anyway, your wife bringing that up is probably not very good. <laughs> It wasn't comforting, that's for sure. It was not a it was not a comfortable conversation, I'll say that. All right, we have some uh, terror in the sky stories coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Shame, 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 shame on you, says AJ on Twitter. Shame on both of you for pushing the narrative of the money being dirty. Oh, it's Santa Barbara. <laughs> 10K is chump change there and could have been a business deposit or for a trip. Okay, calm down. By the way, 10 grand in your purse will get you stopped at the airport. (laughs) Uh, Just really sucks that your go-to is crime. San Bernardino, yes. Santa Barb, no. SMH. Listen, AJ. Listen to the show. That's all. Just come on. 10K is chump change. Isn't it a better... is it a funnier story if it's a crime thing? Come on. Don't don't uh, don't get your panties in a bunch. So shame on us, but you can go ahead and rip San Bernardino if you want to. Is this uh, these plane stories? Does this amount to terror in the skies? Damn right it does. Damn right it does. <laughs> Flight two zero nine, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Get off my plane. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Enough is enough. I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday. It's Gary and Shannon's Terror in the Skies on KFI. You know Sky Harbor International, Phoenix. Uh, Beautiful Phoenix, where Uh, when they, you take off from LAX and they say, it's 68 degrees here in LA, it's 127 at Phoenix. Remember, we stayed a night there. Oh, yes, you're right. Well, it was like like four hours. hours. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, Sky Harbor International was sent into a panic yesterday because some jackass abandoned his rental car near Terminal 4. That led to a nearly four-hour closure, 300 flight delays, and dozens of cancellations. Now, the guy's excuse was he had rented a car. Like, he was he was dropping off his girlfriend or whatever to, uh, to check in, and he was going to jump back in the car and drive to L.A. So he gets out of the rental car, leaves it running curbside. Don't do that, dumbass. And runs into the terminal to help his girlfriend check in. I don't know what the problem would have been or why she needed assistance, but that's what he did. He didn't know that his rental vehicle, while he was standing in line with his girlfriend, was literally being torn apart by the Phoenix Airport bomb squad. Because I don't know what that is, but... It looks like they blew a hole in part of the hood there and jacked that thing open. Uh, They had an anti-bomb robot or a bomb-sniffing robot, if you want to call it that, that was going through the thing. And for hours and hours and hours, they had that area of the airport shut down while they were interviewing this guy. I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often, just because people... Just because people? Just because people. Did you see the plane yesterday? People were losing their minds over a big uh, UPS jet that was flying around being escorted by what looked like a smaller plane. That's exactly what it was. But it was a Learjet that was leading a UPS plane through the air and capturing video for a UPS commercial. Oh, and people so that's thought it what was that a, was. People thought it was a security threat. Well, people. 
Um, but they said that they said a flight tracking website showed the UPS plane took off from San Bernardino, heads out west, out over the coast, out over the Channel Islands, turns around, comes back, lands in Ontario. It was about 90 minutes, but it was enough to get people a little bit flustered with what they saw. Burning Man is over. Uh, two weeks ago, actually, Burning Man uh, closed down shop there in the uh, in the desert, Black Rock Desert. Bureau of Land Management manages the Black Rock Desert. Well, apparently they left something behind at Burning Man. Uh, a 747. <laughs> this is perfectly Burning Man, by the way. They started taking pieces of this 747 from um, from out in the Mojave Desert and would basically truck them up there and put this thing together. A couple of years ago, the first thing they all, all they had was the nose cone, basically, from the 747. And over the course of a few years, they've been bringing pieces and parts of the fuselage. So it goes from the nose to about halfway down the body behind the wings. Throughout the week of Burning Man, about 5,000 people walked through the almost 40-foot-tall airplane. About uh, 500 volunteers helped construct this. But here's the problem. Uh, No one took it with them when they left. Yeah. It's just sitting there. And all they did was kind of move it off of the original site. So... Because they could tow this thing around. It, it's it's movable. I mean, it's got the wheels on it, the landing gear. So they'll they'll hook up a tow vehicle to it and drive it around the, the Burning Man camp area. And uh, it becomes a club, I guess. You want to call it that? Burning Man's not answering their phone calls. Uh, uh, there's still there's sleeping sev- it off. Several calls. Uh, come get your plane. You can't just leave this here. <laughs> and they're not responding. Now, what they're saying is that they want to tow it to an area nearby. There's some private property, I guess, nearby where they want to leave it, you know, the other 50 weeks a year when Burning Man isn't in session so that they could just tow it to Burning Man, tow it back when it's gone. The problem, there are a couple of problems, um, is that there's no road between the Burning Man playa and the piece of private property where they want to put the vehicle. Plus... It's uneven ground, so you can't really just tow it. And then it's also over Bureau of Land Management and specifically a a conservatory area. So you can't build a new road to go through there. So someone's brilliant idea of putting half a 747 out there was uh, sort of uh, not thought all the way through, perhaps. Hey, we are already getting uh, quitting stories People who have quit their jobs or know somebody who have quit their jobs in spectacular fashion the way uh, Vontae Davis did (laughs) yesterday. He was the Bills player who literally left the game at halftime, put on his street clothes, hung up his cleats, and said, I'm done with football. Mm. That's got, I mean, that's a sign about, among other things. Character. How bad the Buffalo Bills are. How bad the Bills are. Uh you know, and somebody uncovered a tweet from him from like a handful of years ago that says something to the effect of never, ever quit or something like that, <laughs> uh, let alone uh, if you're going to quit, quit at halftime. Oh, there there was that meme on Instagram. Oh, that was a takeoff of the, the uh, Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick thing. <laughs> I'll have to find it for when we talk about that. Look for it. News and Brews coming up uh, next Wednesday. We're going to be out September 26th at Wicks Brewing Company in Riverside out there on Sterling Avenue. They're opening their doors early. They have some early drink specials as well and fantastic lunch menu. 
including those different variations of tots that we went through last week. It's going to be Wednesday, September 26th, Wicks Brewing Company in Riverside. We have information up on our social media and our website at KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. Wicks Brewings also put stuff on their website and their social media so you can check it out as well. Coming up next, everything everyone is talking about everywhere. We'll bring it to you right here on Gary and Shannon. Hey there, uh, buddy. You might want to slow down on those strawberries. Are you kidding? These are good. Nope. I don't think you're going to think so when I tell you what uh, I got to tell you about strawberries. I guess I'll have to stand by for that. Uh, We are going to talk more at 1230 when we get into Swamp Watch. The latest on these allegations against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. Some senators say they want the judge and a woman named Christine Blassie Ford to testify before the committee. She's the one who has accused 17-year-old Brett Kavanaugh of, uh, of a sexual assault back in the day when they were both in high school. So we'll talk about that, what that might mean going forward and whether that would delay any nomination, uh, any confirmation vote for Brett Kavanaugh. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Sixteen deaths have now been confirmed in North Carolina and six in South Carolina as a result of Florence. Uh, Last night, a terrible discovery, body of a one-year-old found in Union Country. His mother, county, excuse me, his mother had escaped her car with him because the vehicle was being washed away by floodwaters. She lost her grip and the boy was swept away. I can't. I can't imagine what that is. The um, A three-month-old child was killed when a tree fell on their home in Gaston County in South Carolina. Officials are investigating after a man drove into standing water. Uh, and then a husband and wife died in Fayetteville when a house fire broke out. And they are now being counted among the dead. So 23 dead, including 17 just in North, uh, North Carolina. The... Power crews have continued to uh, to work ever since the, the storm went through. And even though it is now a tropical storm or a tropical depression, it continues to roll through the Appalachians and dump all kinds of rain. The problem is the rain that was uh, that fell over these last few days is still c- going out to the ocean once again. So yeah, and... It's, I mean, all of the rivers that we the saw... The rivers, yeah. The are, rivers are slowly rising, and uh, for people who think that they've... They've weathered the worst of it. The authorities are trying to tell you, no, 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 stay out of your homes if you're in an evacuation zone because that water from the rivers can rush in at any point. Emmys are tonight, and there is a weird precursor to the Emmys, and a fight between Tom Arnold and Mark Burnett. Okay. Tom Arnold tweeted, Mark Burnett just went ape-s and choked me at this huge Emmy party. Then he ran away with his torn pink shirt and missing gold chain. I'm waiting for LAPD. So Mark Burnett was the producer on The Apprentice. And there is a conspiracy theory that he is sitting on tapes of then-host Donald Trump 
using the N-word, or at the very least, using some other racially insensitive uh, language. Uh Uh-huh. So Tom Arnold actually has a show that debuts this week called The Hunt for the Trump Tapes. So not saying that this was intentionally done to promote his upcoming television show, but this was done to promote his upcoming television show. The weirdest part is, because this is Hollywood, not only do you have Tom Arnold and Mark Burnett fighting, apparently, you have Roma Downey stepping into all of this, and people like... Allison Hannigan from the American Pie uh, series and uh, So I Married Your Mother. What was that called? What? How I Met Your Mother. Oh, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, She was on that show. She's now on Penn & Teller's Fool Us. She was there and wrote, I walked into the party behind Tom Arnold and saw him and Mark Burnett get into a fight. I thought it was a joke until security jumped in. Hashtag why I stay home. Gosh, first Cardi B and Nicki Minaj and now Mark Burnett and Tom Arnold. Yeah, but and, and throw this in there as well. Jeff Probst, the host of Survivor, was the one who came in and broke up the fight. I can see that. <laughs> I mean, I see that. he's a Mark Burnett character as well. I mean, I, th- I get those two a, confused, I think. Mark Burnett and Jeff Probst? Yeah. Um, Did they look alike? Uh, I suppose they could if you uh, put Mark Burnett on a deserted <laughs> island for a while and gave him a baseball cap. Lot of waves in the mob community today. Dapper Don is back on the streets after 29 years in prison. This is John Gotti's younger brother, and the mob is said to be bracing for what it will mean to their ranks. Gene Gotti is 71 years old, and he was released on parole from a federal lockup in Louisiana last week. He uh, was put away, I believe, for dealing heroin. But this crime family was once run by his fallen brother, right? Died in 2002. It's now headed up by a guy by the name of Domenico Cefalu with Frank Callie as its street boss. So how Gene is going to ingratiate himself to these guys or just come in and take it over, there's a lot of wondering where the loyalties lie when it comes to... The head of the family now and the Gotti brother. Conspiracy theory. Ready? Yes. The FBI is letting him out or have arranged to make sure that he gets out so that he causes a disruption in the family. Mm. Not that they're going to not that he's a patsy or not that he's flipped and he's working for them. They just want to throw this wild card in there to see what happens and then just catch it when it falls apart. I will watch that show. See? This evening, SpaceX is going to announce the identity of the mystery passenger who signed on to travel around the moon in the company's Big Falcon rocket, or BFR. Get it? Yep, I get it. That's stupid. (laughs) Is it Vernon Unsworth? Is that who they're going to shoot around the moon? Who's Vernon? Vernon is the uh, the diver in that Thai cave rescue. Very well done. (laughs) Who who is now suing uh, Elon Musk, he says. He's going to sue him for libel and slander. Since Elon Musk called him a pedo guy and a child rapist. And then Elon Musk said, well, it must be true. He's not he's not uh, suing me. And then he sued him. Well, we've got a problem in Australia about those strawberries you're eating right now. Apparently, people across Australia have bitten into store bought strawberries in recent weeks and found needles hidden inside. The needle in that one you got in your mouth right now? What do those taste like? What do needles taste like? <laughs> They've been discovered in several strawberry brands and found across all six states. 
and police think copycats are at work here. Widespread food safety concerns over this. Uh, Some supermarkets have stopped selling strawberries. Police are saying, hey, be careful. Um, I always thought this was like a urban Uh, legend. uh, A hoax? Yeah. I'd never heard of it before. People were putting razor blades in apples and that never actually happened, or no one's ever actually been hurt by that. That was always the big warning before we went out trick-or-treating. Yeah. Yeah. Don't eat unwrapped apples. This is not anywhere on Snopes, so I think this is a legit thing. And then finally, a 26-year-old woman probably wins our Mugshot of the Day award. Wait, I'm sorry. She's 26? Yeah. Shut the front door. Come on. Amanda's had a rough time. Where's the picture, please? Amanda Peters was arrested Saturday. She's being held at the Madison County Detention Center. Um, It's on the website, too. She was was picked up uh, for an outstanding warrant out of a neighboring county. Um, They had uh, traced her to a local house and entered with an arrest citation. And she tried to avoid the police officer by locking herself into the bathroom, which doesn't work. I mean, the cop was able to get into the bathroom. And there, according to the police report, Amanda intentionally released her bowels in an upward motion with purposeful direction at this deputy, causing bodily waste to land on his face, arms, and the legs. So I'm going to go home. Wow. <laughs> okay, Vontae. It's not that bad. <laughs> Although the way the Bills have been playing, it's as if someone was least releasing their bowels in an upward motion. All right. We'll come back. We're going to wrap up our gas fantasy foreplay for the weekend and – We're going to talk to you about Vontae Davis and ask for your quitting stories. We'll explain. Monday, September 17th, at the bottom of the hour, we do Swamp Watch, 1230 every day. We talk about politics, what's going on in Washington, D.C., there is a key Republican senator who has threatened to vote no on Judge Kavanaugh in the confirmation hearing. So we'll talk about this uh, because of the allegations that Judge Kavanaugh, then 17-year-old Brett, uh, was accused of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old girl back in the early 80s. We'll talk about that and whether it's going to make a, a difference in the confirmation hearings. If you've seen that huge plume of smoke in the sky there around El Segundo, officials say there is no public health threat. It's a burn-off at the Chevron oil refinery caused by a power outage that happened this morning about 7.30. It was a little daunting to see in the sky today driving to work. Uh, and then there was this Health and Human Services report today that talked about um, psychiatric medication in the foster care system. And this report says one in three foster kids gets psych meds without treatment plans and without follow-up. Some of these kids are getting medication they don't need, and others who do need them are getting the wrong medication in the foster care system. So. Well, Buffalo Bills cornerback Vontae Davis was a healthy scratch in week one, which means he was not going to play uh, for whatever reason. He was not the best uh, to offer on that secondary unit, but they dealt with some injuries this week. And so he was given the start against the Chargers yesterday in Buffalo. Well, it didn't go well for the Buffalo Bills in the first half. It actually went terribly wrong. Josh Allen, who is their first round draft pick that they got supposed to be the savior to the franchise that has had a 17 season playoff drought a lot of stock riding on this kid 
He wasn't ready to go. He was not ready to go yesterday, but they didn't have any other option because they let Tyrod Taylor go in the offseason. Mm. So when Nathan mean, Peterman... I think you mean Tyrod. Tyrod Taylor, right. So Nathan Peterman was the only other option. Nathan Peterman, who threw five picks in the first half when the Chargers played the Bills last year. Nathan Peterman, who went out and crapped the field in week one. So they had to go with Josh Allen. I think it's a mistake because I think that they're going to screw this kid's confidence um, <laughs> before he's ready to go. You know, I mean, Patrick Mahomes was able to sit for a year. This kid was thrown into, into the fray right away. Anyway, so halftime rolls around. Uh, Vontae Davis had just gotten burned by Mike Williams in the end zone for good for six for the Chargers. They go into the locker room at halftime. Vontae Davis takes off his jersey and pads, puts on his street clothes and says, I'm out of here. I'm retiring. This was <laughs> linebacker Lorenzo Alexander asked about it after the game. You've seen anything like that? You never have seen it ever. Pop Warner, high school, college, pros, never heard of it, never seen it. And it's just completely disrespectful when to he, uh, his teammates. Did he say anything to you? Did, did, did he say anybody did? He didn't say nothing to nobody. He left? When yeah, he you know as much as I know. I know I found out going in the second half of the game. Uh, coming out, said he said he's not coming out. He retired. Mm-hmm. He wasn't tired. He just took off. He wrote uh, a lengthy piece, I want to say on Instagram, about how why he did this and his first line was this isn't how I pictured retiring from the NFL but in my 10th NFL season I've been doing what my body has been programmed to do get ready to play on game day I've endured multiple surgeries played through many different injuries throughout my career and over the last few weeks this was the latest physical challenge and he said today on the field reality hit me fast and hard I shouldn't be out there anymore and then he says I meant no disrespect to my teammates and coaches which by the way is exactly what that is. Absolutely. Is incredibly disrespectful. It's giving to up the on them. You know, uh, if if you're if you don't have it in you anymore, you just you tell the coach, right? The meme going around is uh, taken after the Kaepernick meme, and it's a picture of Vontae Davis running out of the tunnel, and it says, "Believe in something, even if it's just until halftime. Just retire." <laughs> Question: Yes, um, he got a million and a half signing bonus. Do signing bonuses come with stipulations, or is it no. straight up like not. no? You, that's what you get, and so that's... like he, so someone could sign something with no intention of ever playing, sign a contract, retire the next day, and they just made a million and a half dollars, right? Because the incentives are so much more. Okay, I was just wondering. Um, so good. there was deal. somebody in the Chargers organization that I spoke to last night on the plane when we were getting ready to leave Buffalo. He said he saw Vontae Davis before the game, and they had worked together in another uh, city at one point. He said, oh, you're still playing? And Vontae apparently looked at him and said, yeah, I got two or three more in me. <laughs> I mean, nobody knew at that point that he was referring to quarters. Two quarters And not seasons. Him. Well, what would, what would be the right way to do that? I mean, outside of playing the rest of the game, if, he's, if he says to himself, like, for example— one of those plays where where Mike Williams is eating cornflakes off his head and and catching the <laughs> touchdown pass, as uh, as Daniel Jeremiah put it. Do you t- do you tell the coach, uh, I hurt my leg on that last one. Don't yeah. put me in unless you need me, but I can't go today. I can't go anymore today yeah. unless it's an emergency. Yeah. And then at the end of the game, you say to the coach and your GM, I can't do this anymore. My body's done. Yes. Okay, that's the way you do. Here's it, the right? thing: a lot of these guys are super emotional, and logic. Uh, probably wasn't to play. He was probably so upset and so frustrated with that first half and and what happened last week and everything, um, not being able to play last week and so frustrated with what happened 
that I don't know if he was think I don't I don't know the man, but I don't I don't know if he was thinking about what that would mean to his teammates, you know, how they would take that. I think it was just an emotional decision just to storm out of there. Well, that was it, it raised a question in uh, in our minds of the greatest quitting stories. And we've already gotten a few of them. We'd love to hear more of them because next hour we're going to talk about the greatest quitting stories that you have. Were you the person who wrote this uh, big, long manifesto and taped it to the boss's door uh, like uh, like Martin Luther? Or were you the person who, you know, let's just say burned that bridge rather spectacularly once you left? We've already gotten a couple stories, and we're going to ask you to call in in about an hour with yours. You see this on the screen right here? <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. We're just going to mm. pretend that's not there? No, I just... I feel like some things should be left in 1996. And the gin blossoms are, yeah. and it's only two of the, all of the blossoms. How many blossoms are there? I think there's six. Oh, really? So mistaken. there's only two blossoms left. Well, no, I don't know if they're left. They're just the ones who showed up at the uh, Channel 9 studios today. Got it. By the way, the Gas Fantasy 4 play, uh, because of that stupid tie, Green Bay and Minnesota. Can we please get, uh, can we get an overtime field goal, please? Anybody, just anybody. Yeah, a lot of kickers, uh, well, at least the Browns kicker out of a job today. I haven't heard about the Vikings kicker. Um, all right, we'll talk about, uh, anyway, the, because of the tie, there were a couple of people who did get three. Oh, yep, he's gone. They're going to go with Dan Bailey. Dan Bailey, I heard, shut down, a, the former kicker for the for the uh, Cowboys, yeah. shut down a number of teams that asked him. Uh, maybe some health issues lingering, but Interesting. apparently they're going to sign Dan Bailey. All right, we'll come back and uh, get into Swamp Watch. If only yesterday September 17th, big stories that we're following. We'll get to the uh, Brett Kavanaugh story in just a bit, but Tropical Storm Florence continues to roll through the Appalachians into uh, New England area. Flooding, rising rivers are now the biggest issues. Some roads are just completely destroyed. The death toll is up to 23, and they're talking about in some areas in North and South Carolina where people are literally waiting for water and basic supplies to come in because the communities have been cut off by the floodwaters. Also, a story that's, we'll see where it goes, but Coca-Cola is reported to be in talks with a Canadian cannabis company to produce, in areas where it would be legal, to produce marijuana-infused soft drinks. They wouldn't be the first, but by far the largest, if in fact it gets that far. And then uh, today, about 3 o'clock today, is when SpaceX says they're going to announce the name of the first passenger for a trip around the moon. 3 o'clock today is when they're going to announce the name. It's time for Swamp Walk. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. 
Brett Kavanaugh has not been able to shake this story dating back to 1982 when he was a 17-year-old in high school. There was a woman who wrote an anonymous letter to her Democratic senator saying, hey, uh, this guy looks like he's going to be up for confirmation, just so you, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, just so you know, uh, something went down in, in in high school with him when he forced himself on me. It tried to silence me, turn the music up. Real bare bones allegation. So the story wasn't going away last week. People were speculating about it. It had reached Capitol Hill. And what are we going to do about Brett Kavanaugh and this, this sexual allegation in 2018 when we've got Me Too movement news all the time? Is, is, this, gonna, is this going to taint his confirmation? Well, she came out over the weekend uh, and identified herself and did the first interview. And I think the reasoning was, and her, as her attorney stated, is because it was a bare bones allegation. And she wanted to add some some details to what she says happened back in 1982 when Brett and his friend were uh, at an all boys school, Georgetown Prep, and they were wasted one night. Uh, according to her, and uh, there were at a house party. There were four people there, and two of the guys took her into a room, or she's in a room, and uh, Brett Kavanaugh forced himself on her, covered her mouth when she tried to scream, and she was able to get away when the other friend jumped on top of her and Kavanaugh. So both Kavanaugh and his friend have denied that any of this ever happened. Uh, There's no outside physical evidence because obviously it's 36 years ago. But Lana Zak has been helping us cover this story. She's on Capitol Hill right now. Lana, are we going to see these two testify before the Judiciary Committee? That's one of the two most important questions that are circling here at the Senate right now. The other one being, of course, will that vote continue to uh, take place on Thursday as was originally scheduled? As of right now, uh, we have not heard from Senator Grassley, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, that he intends to change anything about the vote, though he does say that uh, that Dr. Ford deserves to be heard and is working to do so. Uh, we have also heard from many senators here that they that they want to see her and Kathy come again before the Judiciary Committee in a public hearing. Um, One of the things that might prevent that from happening is, of course, Dr. Ford's own wishes. She says she is ready to have her story heard, but um, one of the considerations, of course, had been that she didn't want to be, according to her attorney, another Anita Hill. Um, And, of course, there are a lot of comparisons being made at this very moment in these halls about uh, Anita Hill and um, Justice Clarence Thomas and his confirmation hearing. There are several senators who are um, critical when it comes to the confirmation hearing, and, and at least one of them, Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski, saying today that they need to consider delaying this vote. I mean, it, wouldn't that be the right call to delay the vote if there were these critical senators that were going to be on the fence without hearing testimony? You're right, Shannon. I don't think that there's any way that they move forward with the vote if they don't think that they have the votes to confirm him. Um, And if that means that it's a delay, the president says that he's willing to accept that. They had had wanted, of course, to fast-track his nomination, and Democrats had wanted to try and slow it down a little bit, uh, in part because of these crucial midterm elections that could change potentially the balance of the Senate and and, uh, how Kavanaugh is received and whether or not he receives a seat on on the bench of the House. 
highest court in the land. Um, for now, it looks like they are not making any predictions about when these votes are going to, to change, if they are going to change. And Grassley says that he's working to try and, uh, and have uh, Dr. Ford heard in, uh, in, a, um, in a quick and uh, respectful manner. What would the FBI do in this case if they are the ones who are supposed to investigate these allegations? So they, the FBI's role in this is to do a background investigation. They did a background investigation on Kavanaugh that did not turn up, uh, to our knowledge, um, any of these types of allegations. And so he had been cleared. He'd been he'd been sent forward to uh, to appear before the Judiciary Committee. Uh, and then this letter that was written by Dr. Ford and given to uh, given to Ranking Member, uh, the highest uh, Democrat in the Judiciary Committee, that happened over the summer. She sent that on to uh, to the FBI just in the last uh, week and a half, um, or the last two weeks, rather. And uh, and they say that it's not, it, it does not rise to the level that they would actually investigate it as a crime themselves, but that they are putting it in his file. And as you know, Gary and Shannon, the FBI, it's hard to get any real information out of them in terms of any investigations that they're undergoing. So what has the president said about all this? Well, he says that Kavanaugh's a good guy. He's standing behind him. Uh, I think that that wouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Uh, the president today said that Kavanaugh's one of the great intellects and one of the finest people. Um, but he also says that that uh, they should go through a full process and hear everyone out. Um, as you can also imagine, he uh, he has some sharp words, of course, for Democrats, saying that he wishes that they could have done it sooner. Um, but that that he's willing to have this go through the process because he's confident that Kavanaugh will prevail that uh, he said he's never even had a little blemish on his record. Yeah. All right. Lana, thank you. Thank you. Lana Zach there, the latest of what's going on in Capitol Hill when it comes to this Kavanaugh nomination and confirmation, if it's going to be pushed back at all. Mitch McConnell is speaking on the Senate floor right now and is uh, bringing up the issue of basically why did, why did Democrats wait with this information? If in fact, Dr. Ford, the um, the woman making the accusation, if she came forward to her member of Congress when Kavanaugh's name was just one of several on a short list or one of a, a few on a short list, why didn't they raise the objection then? And why didn't in the hearings, for example, because midterms, Senator- because timing looks better for the Democratic resistance now. But that's closer a, to the closer to the elections. But that's a that's a gutless way to do this. And, and the of course, unfortunate that's part politics. about it. Well, the unfortunate part about it is she had said Dr. Ford had said she didn't want to get involved in the bloodletting that's a part of politics when it comes to this sort of thing because it was a serious serious enough event in her life that she was she would bringing up she would bring it up in therapy. I mean, this is not a little thing that she's saying was uncomfortable. I mean, this this haunted her. She said for her life, and there's no reason to. To say that it didn't, or, or that it's not, no. And unfortunately, to her. that's exactly uh, it, it's going to be politicized now. Absolutely, and it doesn't help matters that she's a Bernie Sanders Democrat. Doesn't matter. Doesn't help at all. And you give, she's she's given money to Bernie Sanders. She's a registered Democrat, and that's going to play into this whole witch hunt type narrative. Here's a question, though, and I thought about this this morning when once again we saw Judge Kavanaugh come out and deny that this ever happened. Uh, he doesn't know who she was, or at least he would never have. When, when the when there was no name attached to it, he said he wouldn't know who would have accused him of something like that. Uh, that the other guy that was with him supposedly that night, Mark Judge, also denies all of this. 
what if Judge Kavanaugh had come out and said, I did some things when I was 17 that I'm not proud of. He's not and, doing that. He's, well, I know, but I'm saying, saying... He's saying it's not that he doesn't remember it or he's unclear. He absolutely unequivocally did not do it is his stance. Right. But I'm but I'm curious if it would have been different if he would have said, listen, but, but I am a grown-ass man and I have done everything I can to live my life the way I wanted to because I, I don't have daughters now. And I, I don't think you can. Can't ever, you, you can't give an uh-uh. inch. I don't think you can for the Supreme Court. Well, we'll see where, where it ends up because at this point, we're not even sure if they're going to hold the vote uh, for the Judiciary Committee to send this to the floor of the Senate. about the aftermath of Florence, now tropical storm as it moves through the Appalachians. Of course, made landfall last week as a hurricane. Winds rattling shingles off homes, tearing trees down. Those have subsided. The pounding rain has slowed. But the rivers there are quietly rising, and there are still evacuation zones for people to stay the hell out of while they assess what's going to happen with those rising river, river levels. And w- when we uh, hit the top of the hour, Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us. We're going to talk about how storms like this can affect the economy. And uh, obviously a big storm uh, is the impact as big as the storm is. We'll talk about that. Well, we were talking about Judge Kavanaugh and the new uh, allegations against him, or I should say the allegations against him and the new information about whether or not the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to delay the vote at all um, and whether or not there will be some trouble getting him nominated, sorry, getting him confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. The president just made his first comments on the record uh, since all of this went down a few minutes ago. I wish the Democrats could have done this a lot sooner because they had this information for many months and they shouldn't have waited till literally the last days. They should have done it a lot sooner. Uh, but with all of that being said, uh, we want to go through the process. No, he, he, he kind of doubled down on that comment a few minutes later. The FBI has, I think, gone through a process six times with him over the years where he went to higher and higher positions. Uh, he is somebody very special. At the same time, we want to go through a process. We want to make sure everything is perfect. Everything is just right. Now, Kellyanne Conway also made a comment that in her conversations with the president, he said to her that the woman who's making these allegations absolutely deserves to be heard and deserves her opportunity to um, to make this public case against Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. And that's an interesting point. I didn't think about that. Obviously, the FBI does the background check on a Supreme Court nominee, but he's been in he's been. Uh, nominated for positions in the past that would also require FBI background checks. Not that this would rise to the level of, it would not. of showing it, up. I don't think it would rise to the level. It's just one of those moral calls. And when you are talking about a Supreme Court justice and hell, I know that there are people that have sat on the Supreme Court in this country that are guilty of far, far worse. Shady, shady characters. Uh, you know, but I, you know, you think about just those uh, retreats, you know, with the that they go on like the Scalia retreat. Remember how weird that was? It's just anyway, weird circles when you get to like huge, powerful levels of this country. Um, but in 2018, 
when we are bombarded with Me Too news every day, this does not fly. Yeah, and but it, well, yes, I think the the worrisome part about it is that the way the card was played, that if Democrats had this in their pocket, does it would matter? Have been the same the other way. Well, I, but why let it get to this point? You know, I mean, other than the fact that they want a high profile taking down of somebody they could have scuttled this weeks ago i know i just really think that the closer that it gets to the election is better for democrats because it's fresh in everyone's memory that they were able to to take this down and why stop now let's take control of the house i mean you can hear the campaign speeches now yeah so um speaking of a name we haven't said in the last couple of weeks hillary clinton the texas board of education voted uh on friday to remove some historical figures from their mandatory history curriculum, including Helen Keller and Hillary Clinton. What? Now, it's not about it's not about not teaching about these people. It just means that it's not a mandatory part of the curriculum, the history curriculum. So it's not like you can't say the name Hillary Clinton or you won't learn about Helen Keller. It's just not mandatory. Why is Helen Keller getting axed? It's not it's because they want to streamline what they learn in social studies classes. Mm. So it's amazing to me that there are boxes that need to be checked when it comes to a history curriculum. Just the bureaucracy that exists in the school system That's is crazy, insane. Right? Like the meetings that go on where somebody raises their hand and says, "You know, I think we should get rid of Helen Keller." Yeah. Uh it's, she wasn't that great as and, we look back. And in all honesty, it's not the one person who says it. It's that there's somebody else in the room who's like, yeah, right. enough about yeah. her. But what about Ann Sullivan, somebody else says. <laughs> I, I'm so glad that I do not have a job where you just debate inane crap. I can't imagine. That's a- oh, wait. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Duh. All right. When we come back, Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us and we're going to debate inane crap. With yeah, her. it looks like uh, Florence has uh, left its mark on the economy. We'll tell you how when we return to Carrie and Shannon. judgment here that's for sure gary and shannon kfi am 640 uh, senate leader mitch mcconnell saying this hour that republicans will review the kavanaugh accusation by the book and seek interviews we uh we at the bottom of the hour are going to take your quitting stories yesterday in the middle of the chargers game in buffalo one of the buffalo bills players called it quits in the middle of the game. He left, got into his street clothes, and retired, ended his 10-year career in football just like that in the middle of the game. Unheard of. We're already getting some stories from you on social media about fabulous ways, or not so fabulous ways, (laughs) that you have quit or somebody that you know has quit their job. You know, it could be going back decades. And I guess you're always told, you know, don't burn the bridges. Right. I've burned some bridges. Yeah. I had one of those manifesto moments where I yeah. knew that. You were Jerry Maguire at one point. Once I wrote that and sent it, uh, I was never going to be hired by that guy again, which is fine. Did your girlfriend at the time have a cute son as well? No. 
Oh. I was trying to think, did she have a... Wait, that's my wife you're talking about. <laughs> it is 1 o'clock on Monday, which means Market Mondays with our Rebecca Jarvis. It's Market Monday on Gary and Shannon. Because everyone loves money. And alliteration sounds great on the radio. Well, we have spent a lot of time covering Florence and the havoc she has wreaked in North and South Carolina. Looks like she wreaked a little havoc on the economy as well. Rebecca, how are you? I'm great. By the way, uh, did you guys know bees can smell fear? <laughs> really? Uh, That's from Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Oh. They, they, Can't believe she little knows. boy on Jerry Maguire, who's all grown up And now. the human um, head weighs eight pounds. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so cute. There's so much great trivia in that movie. Um, but on a more serious note, yes, um, I, I don't want to make light of this at all because Hurricane Florence has hit the U.S. East Coast. There are, you know, there's a lot of damage already. There's potentially more damage from all of the water. And what we've seen before in storms is, for example, with Hurricane Harvey, a huge amount of property damage locally. There was $125 billion worth of property damage locally. Lost economic output in that situation was $8.5 billion. When you think about it on the national level, uh, on the national level, the impact is relatively small because of the fact that uh, the amount of impact is initial, and then you have what happens from there, which is generally speaking a boost because people have to buy supplies. They go in and they buy uh, new things for construction. They buy new cars, that type of thing, whatever's been damaged. And then on a national level, unless there's a major impact on, for example, our oil supply or our gasoline supply in general, you don't feel it. We did feel it to some extent um, after her. Hurricane Harvey, but the, the the analysts and economists I've been talking to don't expect this storm to have such an impact because it didn't hit the energy infrastructure in the United States in the way that Harvey did. Yeah, and I mean, you think about the timing of it, even though it is devastating potentially to some of those communities uh, for, you know, for, for weeks at a time, if not a couple of months, in all honesty, it's it's literally just a few days worth of a year when it comes to the economy as a whole. So the percentage has got to be pretty small. Exactly. And I, you know, something I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening to your show right now who are relatively removed from the storm damage, but are asking, what can I do? Is there, you know, is there some way to give back? And we've been doing a lot of looking at the various um, charities and things like that that you can actually trust. One thing I would say, having dealt with this previously and covered a lot of storms previously, is that unfortunately there are a lot of charlatans out there. There are the GoFundMe pages that aren't real. So in general, if you're going to give, donate to some of the larger organizations out there. They tend to have better track records. There's a great website called GuideStar if you're wondering and another one called Charity Navigator. If you're wondering where you can give that's respectable, that's going to give the money to the people who desperately need it, go on those websites and double check that you're giving to a place that isn't, you know, spending all of their money on paying people in offices somewhere way far outside of the community to just sort of count beans. Uh, Rebecca, yesterday a senior Trump administration official talked to CNBC and said that the president is getting ready for a fresh round of tariffs on Chinese goods. What do you know about that? 
Well, and we're actually waiting right now. I, I, I've heard today that we very likely could be hearing something official on this um, once the, the stock market closes today. So it, we, it could be in the next couple of minutes here that we get confirmation. But the idea is that they would be targeting 10% duties on $200 billion worth of goods. We, we knew that this was sort of a pending $200 billion worth of goods. That's what's been talked about uh, since the last round. Of, of tariffs took effect, but it looks like the actual tariff would be below the original figure, which was 25%, so 10% tariffs instead of 25% tariffs. I spoke last week with uh, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, and I said, are we in a trade war? He would not characterize this as a trade war. He thinks of a trade war as something that escalates faster than what we're seeing right now, and that that is much more unruly than what we're seeing in this moment. But $200 billion additional dollars, this does ratchet things up. And what we've seen previously is every time uh, the U.S. strikes, you get a counter strike. And we're very likely going to see the same thing here. Who, who has the better staying power? Do we have a better, better staying power or does China when it comes to waiting this thing out? That is the question. If you look at the U.S. stock market, from an investor standpoint, the market is telling you that they believe that China will blink and the U.S. has the stronger position. But there's also the chance that uh, investors don't have it right. I mean, the, the, the question in all of these negotiations is who blinks first. Um, and while there are many people in many different industries, regardless of their industry, who will say the rules are not currently fair as they are, they, the way to, and we've talked about this before, the way to deal with that unfairness, uh, there, are, there are various opinions on, on how to actually address that. Rebecca, can you hang on? Wanted to talk to you about what is killing Sears, uh, Tesla, and and the Saudi issues it's having. Also, Wall Street salaries. Yes, let's do it. All, All right. right. Rebecca Jarvis has joined us. We'll come back to the Gary and Shannon Show in just a moment. Gary and Shannon, it's Monday, September 17th. Big stories include... The Senate Judiciary Committee trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do about the allegations against uh, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, whether or not they're going to hear in person allegations from a woman who said when she was 15, Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her when he was 17, or they're going to do it over the phone, whether it means they're going to have to push back a confirmation vote. All of that is still being worked out in Washington. We are talking to Rebecca Jarvis for Market Mondays, and it looks like... Wall Street salaries have just hit their highest in a decade. What do we make of that? That's right. Well, um, this is why I went um, and worked on Wall Street right out of college (laughs) instead of going into journalism because I had so many student loans I needed to pay for. So, yeah, the average pay now, including bonus, up 13%, uh, $422,500 last year. One of the things I think is going on here is you look at the stock market, and the stock market with the record returns the last couple of years, a lot of these these employees, they're 
compensation, their bonus in particular, is tied to the stock price. And bonuses are likely to increase for the third consecutive year this year. The average bonus up 17% last year to $184,200. So because so much of these bonuses are tied to the stock price, those stock prices increasing is a big reason why you see the bonuses increasing as quickly as they have. So it's not necessarily out of, uh, you know, out of whack with what's really going on in the economy. Because if you go back 10 years, obviously we were in the tank then. So this sure. makes this makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, it makes sense if you think about what has happened to the stock prices that underlie the bonuses. People can have their own opinions about whether or not, uh, you know, other jobs should be compensated significantly more. I mean, we, we've talked about this so many times here on the show about the number of U.S. companies that continue to not hike wages, even though their stock price is up near record highs, even though their profits are record highs. But they they have selected to do other things with their money as opposed to invest it back in the company and the employees. Sears may be uh, an indicator of what we're dealing with with public pensions. Uh, Sears turning in another really sad quarterly earnings report last Thursday, and it looks like it's because they're paying for their own people to retire. They've they've spent $2 billion, Sears has, in the last five years into those retirement plans. And a lot of analysts have said, Eddie Lampert, the guy who runs the whole thing, that he's the one to blame for Sears' misfortunes. They say he's made bad decisions about marketing. He didn't invest enough in stores. He didn't commit enough to selling online. He says, actually, no, it's these pensions. They're killing me. And part of the issue, too, is when you get to a point that Sears is in and you have a lot of pension liabilities on your books, you have to start paying more money, setting aside more money in order to make sure you can cover those pension obligations. So when Sears makes money, like they did uh, earlier this year with the sale of Craftsman Tool, they end up having to actually, uh, the, the, the brand Stanley Decker, Stanley Black & Decker, they made this money, but they ultimately have to set aside a big chunk of that, about, um, I think, $250 million of the $900 million that they made on the sale. They have to set that money aside for pensions. So this is something we saw also coming out of the financial crisis. We saw it with uh, the automakers, that they had these big pension obligations. They weren't sure how they were going to uh, fulfill them, and, and, and it's an issue for states as well, state governments. Does that bode well for these state governments? I mean, we're seeing these these private companies that are getting into this. I mean, state governments can't default on these, can they? It's going to be a mess. No, it, it is an absolute mess. Uh, the law around them is really complicated, and there will be angry parties in all different sides. And then you have the people who live in these places where they're paying taxes because they, you know, you pay taxes so that things like your schools and your roads can be taken care of. But ultimately, there are these employees who are also saying, wait, I earned this. This is part of my agreement. So it is a, uh, a big cluster. Mm. That's a very safe word you've chosen. <laughs> uh, but speaking of, uh, there was a uh, Tesla story. We did this Tesla story about how Elon Musk has been mouthy and he's going to get sued for it now. The the Tesla stock uh, actually dipped a bit because there are um, 
uh, billions of dollars, a billion dollars, going into something called Lucid Motors. Never even heard of it before. Right, but they're the rival. This company, Lucid Motors, is the rival of Tesla. And, of course, Saudi Arabia, their sovereign wealth fund, that's the one Elon Musk said he had connected with to secure funding to take Tesla private. You guys have been talking about this. We've talked about this before. So this Lucid investment is now going in from the the, the company that was kind of, or not the company, but the, the country, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia was supposed to sort of be the white knight for for Tesla, and now that billion dollars is going to their competitor, and all of this is on the heels of uh, some delays, more delays for deliveries, um, and Musk blamed outside shops for repair on those delivery delays. Well, we're not going to see a car from Lucid for a few years, right? Yeah, it's still a ways off, but it's it's an interesting question at this moment in time. Who are you betting on in that space? Um, because a lot of money went and bet on Tesla, and a lot of money was betting on Elon Musk. And there are investors now who are saying, wait a minute, um, here's a guy who... I don't know. Is he is he a hundred percent there? Is what's going on? Actually, you know what? What I find most interesting is I I think that most most would not debate the brilliance of Elon Musk. I think there's a handful now who are saying he needs a, a good friend, somebody who can be there as a partner to him, who he can really trust that he can bounce ideas off of and that he can speak to on an honest level who can also honestly tell him, um, you know what, guy, like, get get your act together. This is not the public-facing um, CEO that investors want to bet on. And when mm. you have these delays in your product, it's not something that customers are going to love either. Right. Some and, customers and, will love it. I mean, I'm sure there's some who say that they, they're really into it. But investors are are an important piece of the puzzle, too. And legal as it might be, smoking pot uh, here in California is not the best public action when you're trying to raise money for your company. Right. And especially, especially many would argue in, in a situation like the one he's in where there have been challenges to, uh, you know, people are questioning whether or not the company can do what he says that it can do. And so rather than sort of taking it that way, taking it more seriously or appearing to take it more seriously, I think would be beneficial. Rebecca Jarvis, thank you so much. What's coming up on the podcast? Well, so Sarah Haynes, the new host of GMA Day, the new co-anchor of GMA Day, who's a dear friend, interviews me. So check it out. They twisted my arm, and now I'm the one in the hot seat. Oh, Oh, I love it. No Limits podcast. Check it out, people. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you. Take care. Rebecca Jarvis there. We'll come back, and we're going to do this story about Vontae Davis, the Buffalo Bills cornerback who retired during halftime. You got to give us your call. Give us a ring. Tell us how you famously quit your job. Yeah. Burn that bridge, baby. Burn it burn it bright. Or if you know somebody, we got a couple uh we got a couple messages on social media about people who uh who already have given us their quitting in fantastic fashion stories. So eight hundred five two zero one KFI. That's eight hundred five two zero one five three four. Tell us your best I quit story. Like Jerry Maguire manifesto style. Mm. You went out in a blaze of glory. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640.
17th. The uh, big stories that we've been following today, this professor from here in California, the writer of that Brett Kavanaugh letter, finally identified herself yesterday in a piece in the Washington Post, spoke out about her allegations of sexual assault against the judge, the Supreme Court nominee. So now uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee has to figure out, are they going to have both of them in, maybe to testify under oath about this story that happened 36 years ago? Will they do it by phone? Will it have any sort of impact on the confirmation process for Judge Kavanaugh, or is this the end of it? A couple other stories include uh, Florence, the tropical storm, the flooding and rising rivers are now the big deals in North and South Carolina. Half a million people said to be without power. And then uh, SpaceX today, about uh, 90 minutes from now, SpaceX says they're going to announce the name of the first passenger on a trip around the moon to be a ride on one of their uh, BFRs. They think they're big... Big rocket is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> you know what it. else that could stand for? Yes, I do. That's why oh, I hesitated a little bit. Is that really what it means? Uh, it's the big falcon rocket is what they, oh, they say that's what that sure means. Sure it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like and uh, send us a Facebook post. We're talking about quitting, right? The best quitting stories where Vontae Davis, a cornerback for the Buffalo Bills, was so upset about his deteriorating physical condition and the quality of the Bills' play that he left at halftime yesterday. Uh, just spectacular. Put his uh, not spectacular. On and left. Not spectacular for his teammates. He said it was completely disrespectful. Not cool at all. So we asked you for your stories. Lycan writes in and says, "My name is uh, oh sorry, Aaron. Uh, I have a job quitting story. When I was in high school, I worked at McDonald's and I hated the manager. So one day, we had four people working, including the manager, and a bus with about fifty people came in, and I quit." Right when they walked in. I yelled at the manager that I was done. I had it. I quit. Got in my car. A 1980 Pontiac Sunbird. Right as I was driving out of the parking lot, the car stopped and I couldn't get it started again. So everybody in the restaurant watched while I had to call the tow truck just after I quit. Can we please get to uh, Richard's story? Yes, of course. Richard, thanks for calling the Gary and Shannon show. What's going on? My pleasure. Well, I worked for a guy for, I worked with him. For about 25 years, and uh, one day I'd had enough. He was just making demands that were ridiculous. I walked in, I put in a letter of resignation on his desk, and I said to him, he says, really? I go, yeah. I said, because you're an a-hole. And he goes, I know it. I go, that's right. I'm not driving down the 405 freeway one more day, and I walked out. About a year later, he tried to sue Really sued me, actually. He sued me for $5 million because I took all my clients with me. And it was perfectly legal. So at the end of a, end of about a year of litigation, he got zero, mm. nothing but a huge bill for his legal fees. Mm. Wow! Way to stick I it to the I man. Can, I can't. I can't match the halftime walk-off story. That's a pretty good one. But this <laughs> one good everyone heard me tell him, "You're an a-hole," and I walked out. You know, oh, nice. That's good. Now the nice guys. There was a story in baseball as well. John Cruck, who played for the Phillies most famously, but was playing for the White Sox when he did this. He got a single. In his, I think, first at-bat in a game against the Orioles, he got a single. He pulled himself out of the game and then retired so that he could go out, you know, on top, I guess. It seems like they knew he was going to do that, though. You know, it's baseball. It's very polite. I'm sure there was a conversation before, hey, I'd like to go out with a hit. Yeah. Uh, Knee problems, like you said. So 
Uh, let's see here. William wrote to us, my ex's quit story. It was in Tucson. She worked at a big furniture store, and she's hawking furniture for slave labor, labor wages. She gets a call for a much better paying interior designer position. They want her right now. She goes to her boss's office to say, I quit. He cuts her off, says, I'll come find you later if you want to talk to me. She tries to tell him again. He rudely cuts her off again. So she walks out, goes to the design company, starts her new job. He calls her four or five hours later. She's at her new desk, new company. And uh, the boss says, where are you? And she says, I'm at work. Bye-bye. That's good. Mike. Mike has a good I quit story. What's going on? Hey, uh, Gary and Shannon. I worked for, I think, probably one of the very first Internet investment schemes back in 1997. Doing good, making good money. Worked with about 25 people. Um, One night I go home. I get a call from the FBI. They had been tapping our phones. It turned out that one of the managers had been investigated by the FBI, convicted of some illegal things. I knew about it, went into work the next day, and when the two managers went off to lunch, I told my coworkers, and 20 out of 25 people walked out the door with me. (laughs) When the managers came back, there were only about five people left in the room. Yikes. And the FBI is knocking on the door, too. Yeah, we were making good money. Uh, it, it was hard to do, but I think it was the right thing to do. Uh, I just wish that I had seen their faces. <laughs> Mike, thanks for calling. Wally has a story as well. What's going on, Wally? I quit the nude club where I worked yes. as a stripper because yes. this customer <laughs> made fun of my hairstyle. I've been waiting for this call for my whole life. Tell me more. <laughs> Hold on a second. Wally, Wally yes. you were a stripper. Why was, why, why was he looking name? at his? Why was he looking at your hair? <laughs> well, maybe uh, that's that's another problem. But yeah, he didn't like my my new wave hairstyle. He thought it was kind of weird. I thought I was at the height of fashion, and uh, my manager would not stand by me. So I hmm. quit and I went to work at the other strip joint down the street. <laughs> what did you have? A, did you have a, a name you went by? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. What was it? wasn't it? anything uh, like exotic or burlesque sounding. What was it? Because I want to make it our official show stripper name. It was Shannon Farron. That's what she went by. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was Annie Fanny. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's yes. Old school. I love it. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh. yeah. See, that is a good point. This is a really big teaching moment, Wally. Uh, never, ever say anything about a woman's hairstyle. I mean, right. ever. Like, if it's not, your hair looks great today, then just don't even say it. Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly. See, I had just dyed it platinum. Ah. And the, the customer said, why did you dye your hair that color? Now you look like an old lady or something mm. with white hair. Uh, oh. was, was the guy a regular? Uh, no, he was not. Oh, well, that, that might have been a problem. Wally, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Andy Fanny. Yes. <laughs> I love uh, that name. John is calling uh, with his I Quit story. What's going on, John? How you doing? Um, Were so you a stripper? I, about 10 years ago, I used to work at a bank. <laughs> I'm not going to say the name. Um, maybe about four months, they kept promising me, you know, the better position. That I was actually working at the time. So I should have been getting paid, you know, and the title. Uh, so when my performance review came up, I um, nothing came up about it. So I gave them, you know, all the keys, the bank keys, 
literally shoved my middle finger in my supervisor and manager's face and walked out with my middle finger in the air, and I felt so good, let me tell you. <laughs> there is something very cathartic, I think, about being able to do that. Um, but we want... <laughs> what? I'm reading the description of another call coming up. We'll do more of these when we come back. Your best <laughs> I quit stories, one 800 520 one five three four eight hundred five two oh one KFI. Don't forget next Wednesday, our next news and brews is gonna be at Wix Brewing Company. We're gonna do the show live on Wednesday the twenty sixth from Wix Brewing Company there on Sterling Avenue in Riverside. We'd love it if you would come on out. Annie Fanny. Annie Fanny. Love it. Gary and Shannon. On this Monday, John and Ken coming up next. We've been telling you uh, about Vontae Davis, the Buffalo Bills cornerback who literally quit in the middle of the game yesterday. Retired from football and that's at a, halftime. That's a feather in Mike Williams' cap, really. Uh, Second-year yes. wide receiver out of Clemson. Injured for most of the year last year and is off to a great start. He had just caught his, a TD pass basically on Vontae's head. This was his first, wasn't it? The first... No, he played last week. No, no, but I mean his first uh, uh, catch, his first touchdown catch. He caught one last week. Oh, I thought this was... Never mind. All right. Okay. I you think were so. on the side. Anyway, we're talking about great quitting stories. Danny is calling with one. What's going on, Danny? Hey, how's it going, guys? Super. Love you guys. Thank you. Hey, I was, when I was a kid, I worked at Sambo's Restaurant. And the manager was a female, and she was always mean. Well, I was the only cook on duty. And at lunchtime, I let the whole wheel fill up and customers coming in and everything. And I told her, I got to go to the restroom. No, no, no. You got to cook. You got to cook. And I just walked out. Mm. You know what they call a mean female boss? Boss. Good answer. John is calling. What's going on, John? Um, I was working in the cruise line industry, and the cruise director used to do this this little bit where he would do ventriloquism. And the thing was, he wasn't a ventriloquist. What I did was I would play back. Okay. Well. Yeah. We can't. We can't say that. I don't know if we can or not, but it's probably best. Air on the to. side of caution. Yeah, it's you my what, job, not I, his. And I was upset because uh, I had a lot of questions about working on a cruise ship. Um, <laughs> I always like to be- befriend the the guys that play the piano in the atrium, sure, uh, and, and just find out like how's it going. Uh, are, what's happening? What's the scuttlebutt? What's the drama? Yeah. You know, who's the bad boss? What other gigs have you had? Like, what gets you to working on a cruise ship? Because when you're uh, twenty something and you're a performer, or even um, you're in the hospitality part, like I get it, and you're making money and you're sending it back home and the whole thing. But when you're playing the piano in the atrium and you're uh, forty eight. Like you have good stories, they're yeah. always you've great been stories. There a long time, yeah. You've gone to different cruise lines, etc. Oh, totally. Phyllis is calling. Hey, Phyllis, what's going on? Hey, I just did it. I recently retired without warning. I left them in a total tither. I was so happy. I did what I did. Oh my goodness. Who? Where did you I'm, quit? I'm loving it. I worked for the LA County Sheriff's Department as a civilian employee. Oh wow. And, um, I, I complained about a deputy calling me a bitch. Oh, that'll... So once I complained, 
even though I, I knew my job well, everybody liked me, everything went downhill for me after that. Because oh, they bad. all take it personal like I complained on them. And I don't regret it. I don't regret complaining because if it happened again, I would still complain. So anyways, I couldn't actually officially collect a pension until this past May. So I had to stay there and tolerate it for a couple of years. And I had a plan because I had something else better waiting for me. But I wanted my pension. I thought, no, the sheriff department's not getting away with it. They're giving me my pension. I put in enough years. And uh, I, I qualified for it in May. And I thought, oh, let me stay a little longer. And I thought, no, I'm leaving out of here. I'm going. And I went to the county office, signed my retirement on one of my days off, went straight to my station, gave my ID to the supervisor, got my personal belongings. I said, I, I retired. I'm out of here. Well, and the, next day was, <laughs> the next day was my Monday, and they were all in a tither. Oh, my goodness, because I was there when they didn't show up. My supervisor knew she passed it on to the head people. But I left them all in a tither, and I'm glad I got over. Enjoy retirement, Phyllis. Uh, And then finally, we're going to wrap it up. Ski. What's going on, ski? Yeah, same old uh, stuff. (laughs) Retired, you know. Excellent, yes. Anyhow, I was working at a a high-end retail store called Bullocks, and they had a men's bar cologne, and it was Christmas season. There was a lot of panic shoppers. And the ladies wanted to test the colognes out on me. You know, put your hand out. Well, this one bottle just squirted me right in the face. It was like getting hit with mace. And I just called her a dumbass, went to the restroom, washed my face, and walked right out. (laughs) That's one of the better ones. That's good. All right, Ski, thank you very much. So I had a job uh, early on in the career in radio and was told that I I would never work on the air. And despite my... uh, Do we have any uh, Toby Keith, how do you like me now, Blake, that we could uh, (laughs) run underneath Gary's story? Well, and it was at a station that was populated, I guess. Everybody that worked there was in their early 20s. And we all were still excited and dumb and... Not uh, jaded. Not jaded. And we still believed that we were going to be able to make a difference and, and that there was a future and all of that sort of stuff. And the the parties that we would have were excellent because everybody was encouraging each other. And it's probably the to see what happens. best and... reporting crew uh, at KFBK during those years. Yeah, because, it, I mean, and everybody wanted to continue in the job. It wasn't a stop for I mean, it wasn't a, uh, uh, a whim for them. They wanted to make a career out of it. So when people would start leaving the space, they would go on to other bigger radio stations and continue their jobs. And then I got offered a job, and I took it, and uh, the boss said, why? And I said, because they're paying me twice what you will pay me. Well, you're never going to work out on the air. What are you going to be doing for them? And I said, I'm going to be anchoring their morning show. And he was flabbergasted. So it was long before the days of actual email. It was when you could send messages to each other on the little computer system. Uh And I sent a a several-paragraph email, but it was more of an encouragement to the people that I was working with, like, can't wait to see what you guys do in the next couple of years. Uh, everybody should keep in touch. We should get this group back together at times. Oh, and by the way. Oh, and by the way. Screw that guy. Yeah, screw that guy and the guy that works for him who told me I would never amount to anything. If it so. makes you feel any better, yeah. I've since heard from that person who says that he feels bad that he told you that all those years ago. Are you making that up? I swear to God. 
I never told you that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he I've, said, heard, he I've said, heard from him, too. I feel bad to this day the way that I treated Gary. Yeah. I mean, I'm over it. Clearly. Clearly 20, over it. 20 years later. <laughs> I'm totally over it. I've forgotten the day and the time that I wrote that email. Even. Probably. All right. <laughs> Don't forget, our uh, News and Brew is coming up Wednesday, the 26th. We're going to be at Wicks Brewing in Riverside. Come on out. John and Ken are up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Well, goodbye. Don't think it hasn't been a little slice of heaven, because it hasn't. Gary and Shannon.